Let us pause for a word of prayer. Father, again, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for the privilege that we can be called sons and daughters of you. Father, what a privilege. What a father you are to us. An example to all of us who we should be like. And I pray that you would just challenge us this morning from your word, that we would see you. And we would see ourselves for who we truly are, Father, apart from you, and how much we need you in our lives. Pray that we won't come with an attitude of, I already know these things, but that we would know that we need to know and apply these things to our lives, Father. And I just thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. We are now 24 days into the new year. And some people are already ready for Christmas to come again because they want a break. They want a holiday. They feel that work, home, has gotten to be too much. And the reason is because so many times in our lives we lose focus of who we are serving on this earth. We lose focus of God is the one that we serve. Paul in Colossians 3 tells us just what godly living looks like. And notice this morning that I said godly living, not Christian living. Because I think too many times in our world today, Christian has become a word that we just throw out there and we use all the time. But we are talking about godly living, becoming more like Christ. Because Christian is just a word that we use for religious activities. We come to church, well, you must be a Christian. You can say a couple of verses, well, you must be a Christian. No, godly living is about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, to truly know him as your Savior. Paul in Colossians chapter 3, as he talks to the church here, he wants them to understand that, look, this is what a godly person looks like. This is how you are supposed to live. And he takes us in, in Colossians chapter 3, in the first five, in the first couple of verses, looking at verses 5 to 9, it says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On the account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you once to walk when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. Here Paul makes it very clear, as he's as going to look later on, this is what a believer is supposed to do. A believer is supposed to take these things off. Anger, malice, wrath, idolatry, all these things are supposed to be stripped away. We need to become a new man, a new creation in Christ. Not the old person, but a new man. We must recognize that these are things that are not found in a believer. A believer cannot be angry all the time. A believer cannot show these different traits. But he also doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, you know what, just take these things off and this is what you do. What does he tell us? No, this is what you need to put on. As we think of the, in verses 12, it says this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything in perfect harmony. You see, Paul is talking to this church in, Col in Colossians. And you know what? These are the same problems that we have today in our church. It's no different. You see, if, like he said in his last part, he says this, if we have love, if we put on love, that will bind us together. That will unify us. You see, so many times in church today, we don't show love. 
We get angry with the person across the way in the, in, from this aisle to that aisle, and we don't talk to them. But we call ourselves godly people. We call ourselves believers. You see, the Word tells us that they will know we are Christians by what? Our love. How can we say that we love Christ, but we don't love our brother or sister next to us? We can't. And Paul is recognizing that, look, this, isn't just, this is something that's going to happen from here, from now, till the end of time. And you want me to tell you why? Because it involves human beings. Sinful people. People who need Christ. People who need a standard to look up to. I know for sure, as God said, that Scripture is God-breathed. That everything that He puts in Scripture is for a reason, it's in purpose. And I know for sure that there's no mistake right now in this particular passage that we're going to look at that Paul makes it very clear to look at your individual self and understand what you need to do with the individual first. What you need to put off and put on before he talks to us individually as a household. That's wives, husbands, fathers, employers, employees, children. He makes it no point because you know what? We have to worry about ourselves first of all. And we have to get things right with God before we can be a godly father, a godly wife, a godly employee, a godly employer, a godly child. So if you would turn your Bibles this morning to Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, go into 4, verse 1, and we're going to look at six individuals, wives, husbands, children, fathers, employees, and employers. And our text is, again, starting at verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleases, but with sincerity of heart. Fear in the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. 4 verse 1. Master, treat your bondservant justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. The first one we look at this morning is godly living for the wife. And as you can look at me, I'm not a wife. But the scripture tells me what a wife should look like. All right? Wives, submit to your husband as it's fitting to the Lord. And all the fellas in the room said? Everyone said amen, right? All the fellas, they heard submit and wife, and they was like, amen to that, brother. But we need to be very careful on how we look at this, at this submission. This submission is not that a wife should feel like they should be forced into, but that they should want to be submissive under a husband. Submit here is a Greek word, hupotasso. And in the military sense, it means to arrange troops under their master. But in the non-military sense, as in the case of the wife, it means a voluntary attitude of giving in. You see, a wife should want to be under her husband, should want to submit under her husband. It shouldn't be a task. It shouldn't be that I have a whip out and I'm ruling you, women get under me or else. It should be a voluntary submission. It should be that she sees, as we're going to look later on, Christ in the husband and it becomes so much easier to fall under his submission. 
You see, Paul is not saying, wives, submit only to the things that you think are fitting to the Lord, but he is saying that it is fitting for a Christian wife to submit to her husband. We see this as we think about in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. And it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and his, is in himself its Savior. Now as Christ submits to Christ, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2 says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now one thing we notice in these passages compared to Colossians 3, it says your own. And the Greek word for your own is idios. And I did not say idiot. All right, let me make that very clear. I did not say to you, wives, submit to your idiot husband. I did not say that. All right? The Greek says idios. All right? So, as we think of this verse, as we think of this, all jokes aside, we must recognize the importance of the wife here. As we see and says in 1 Peter chapter 3, that even if your husband is not a believer and may treat you badly, you must remember that you are trying to win your husband and to let Christ shine through you. I need to make this very clear, that this is godly living for a wife. This isn't for the world's sense, but this is for a godly wife, what they should do. I also want to make it very clear this morning, as we think of a wife, that your first responsibility anywhere is the house. It's not your workplace, but it is the home. The home is your first responsibility. And I know that our world has changed that. Our world has changed these things to make us think, well, you know what, I got to do all these things, but neglect the house. No, the house is your first priority. And I know I may get in trouble for saying that, but you know what, that is the truth. If the wife is not taking care of the house, what's going to happen? It's going to fall apart. You know, we make fun of this movie, Mom's Night Out, but I could be honest with you, and I could let you know that if Samson leaves mercy with me for a couple hours, I'm stressed out. I am stressed out. I don't know how she does it. I don't know how moms do it. I, you know, and I know we're talking about wives, but I just don't know how they do it all the time. It's because God has given them special gifts that we don't have as men. And I honestly think that women are special people, as we will see, as we know the world tells us that behind every great man, there's not just a great woman, but a greater woman. Because we need great Christian women today. And so many times we come away from Scripture and we forget and look at what the wife is all about. It's important to look at this submission as a godly submission, and not a submission of being told to do what I say or else. But it is hope that a wife that submits to her husband in a godly way will build up her husband to become a better leader. In Proverbs 31, the chapter that we best know for what a godly woman looks like says they concerning a wife to her husband. Proverbs 31, 23 says, A husband is known in the gates where he sits among the elders of the land. This verse implies that the husband has nothing to worry about. He can go in the streets, sit among the men, and know that he has nothing to worry about because he knows that the wife is taking care of the home. You see, that's what a godly wife looks like. One that is ready to submit under her husband, 
one who is willing to take care of the home and to put that before anything else in this world. Because if the home isn't straight, what's going to happen? That's our problem we have in today's society. The home is not taken care of first. And we have too many problems in our society. Secondly, godly living for the husbands. And I just got an amen from the husbands, but let me tell you something. It's going to hurt. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And that sounds very easy to do. All right, just don't be harsh. Don't be mean to my wife. Treat her nicely. But what do we see as we think of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to 28? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he, may, he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he may present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or with wrinkle or such a thing that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Talk about a great responsibility as a husband. That we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. This is a sacrificial love that never gets old. I know that some of you might remember when you were dating, when you were growing up and you know you had those special phone calls, you'd pick up the phone, you're talking to that beautiful lady of yours, and you would say, you hang up first. No, no, you hang up first. No, 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 you hang up first. Or you may say, I love you more. No, 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 I love you more. I love you more. You know, and that all dies down after a while, you know, but we think that that is what love is truly is. We do those things. We think that is love. But we, as we see here, that is nothing compared to the love of Jesus has for the church. As we think of loving our wives, Christ of the church, then we all have to look at the cross and see a love that had no bounds, that we can compare to any type of other love. There's no way that we as husbands can say that we love our wives enough because Christ loved us so much as to die on the cross for our sins. He didn't die for us because we were nice. He didn't die for us because he died for us because we were needful. We were sinful people. Husbands, we don't love our wives because they are nice to us, but because they need our love. We don't lay down our lives, lay down our rights because our wives are sweet and kind, but because they need our love. If you have trouble forgiving your spouse, can I encourage you this morning? Hasn't Jesus forgiven you? Hasn't Christ forgiven you above everything else, all the bad things you've done? But we get so upset in our relationship, little petty things and Go on and on. But we see what Christ did for us. The more you get in touch with the fact that Jesus had forgiven you of everything you've ever done, the easier it will become to forgive your spouse. Husbands can never say, you know what, I love my wife enough. I bought her this, I've done this for her, you know, I've given her this big home. In fact, if you give her a big home, that might be more stress than her because she got to clean that big home. And do all that, she, so she probably don't like that. But beside that point, we can't say that we can buy the love. But we need to show our wives the love of Christ. We need to show them the love that says, you know what? I love you so much. I'm willing to do anything for you. 
And you know what? When we become as husbands in tune with the, with the Lord himself, and that's the only way we can know about this type of love. Again, this is godly living for a Christian husband. We have to be in the Word. We have to be men of God, of the Word. That's, this is our manual to life, God's Word. We have to study it. We have to be the spiritual leader of our household. We can't expect the lady to do that. This is where the submission of a husband and wife become a dual submission. As the husband submits to God, the wife can easily submit under the husband's because he loves her in this way. So we don't just think and, and try to hold us over a wife and say, woman, submit to me or else. But you know what? We need to submit under our Father who art in heaven and come unto him and it makes it so much easier for our wives to come under us as husbands. Because we need to recognize that we need to become like Christ. And if we become more like Christ as husbands, then our wives would easily be able to submit unto us. Thirdly, godly living for children. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. We know that this is all discussed in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. And this is the first commandment with a promise. And he makes it very clear for children that they are to obey their parents in everything. Not some things, not because I feel like it, but obey your parents in everything. Again, talking to godly parents, they're not going to ask their children to do ungodly things. Because if it goes against the word of God, then that's when the problem comes in. But again, we're talking about a godly household. So let me make that very clear. This is pretty straightforward. As kids, it doesn't matter if you don't like that your kids set you a curfew of 10 o'clock and you got to be home. It's what they say goes. It doesn't matter if you don't feel like it or you think they're being harsh with you or you think they're being mean. Well, mommy, so-and-so's parent allows them to be out until 11 o'clock. That doesn't matter because God has given you your parents to be in charge of you. And I think this is what happens today when children compare themselves and see their other friends get away with more things. And that becomes a problem because, especially even in the church today, where some godly parents allow their kids to do things that these ones don't allow. And then, oh, mommy, daddy, so-and-so, they go to church, they know Christ is saving, they, they got to do this. And then we have those problems. And this is why we need to remember that the Word of God is our foundation in everything. We don't need to compare ourselves to other people, but we need to look at the Word. And what does the Word tell us? That's what matters. If the Word tells me to do this, I have to follow that. This is the standard, nothing more, nothing less. We have to live by the Word. Thirdly, godly li- fourthly, sorry, godly living for the fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Men, we get talked to again. And this is usually a verse we look at at Father's Day, but we need to make sure that we hear these words. Fathers, do not provoke their children, for they will get discouraged. The question becomes, how do we provoke our kids? Well, a couple of things I thought of is this. First of all, teasing them. When we go too far with teasing and we hurt our kids' feelings. You know, we, we like to joke around with our kids and do these things, but... When we embarrass them in front of their friends, that provokes them. They don't like those things. We keep on teasing them. 
Secondly, we have overly high expectations for them, which means we want more from our child than they can give or they should give. And I think this is a big thing in our society today because we expect all of our kids to be straight-A students. But you know the reality of it is all of them aren't straight-A students. All of them aren't A students. I was never an A student. I used to get a couple A's here and there, but not a straight A. But we expect our kid because so-and-so over here, well, what do you mean? They got an A on the test. What happened to you? Something wrong with you? They got an A. Did you not study hard enough? Or maybe they did their best, but they just didn't get an A. I think that's the problem we do. We put high expectations on our kids that they can't even fulfill. We have them living in someone else's shadow. Because sometimes we take our kids as our trophies. And we think, all right, this kid represents me, and I want them to get straight A's because I know I couldn't get straight A's, so they got to get straight A's to look at, make us look good. Or you may push them so hard in athletics. You know, you may make them think, you know what, they got to be the next Michael Jordan because guess what? I couldn't play basketball for nothing in this world. So they got to be a good athlete because I wasn't a good athlete. But that might not be for them either. You see, we provoke our kids. We tell them the things that we want them to do instead of finding out what they are good at. We have to be very careful of this. We can't put high expectations on them that we know that they cannot get to or handle. We have to be very cautious of this. Conditional love, thirdly. Never let them know that you love them or approve of them unless they go through a difficult task. You see, we need to make sure that our kids know we love them or we are proud of them. We, don't, we should just tell our kid that we're proud of them when they are at school and they're getting this great award uh, you made me, and, and you know what we like to say? You made me so proud to call you my child. What happened to the other times? They've always been your child. Do you tell them you love them then? When they do things that aren't right? That's when we really need to come alongside, hey, just want you to know I love you. And show them from God's word, look, this is, this is not adding up. But what happens a lot of times is we only tell them we love them when they make us proud. Oh, I was so proud to come to that award ceremony today because you, like, like I said, you made me proud. Fourthly, broken promises. You promise, your, you promise your child something and you break the promise over and over again. And the worst broken promise is this, I think, most of all. I'm going to be there. But you never show up. Kids get upset with that. They get hurt. And also we could think of abuse, which is from mental to verbal to physical, all the different abuse we could think of. These are the things how we provoke our kids to wrath. Fourthly, godly living and work. Verses 22, Ephesians Chapter, I mean, Colossians 3, 22, 25 says this. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are earthly masters. Not by the way of eye service that people pleases, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. 
You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer, you will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. You see, we have to recognize in Paul's day, slavery was very real. And Paul wanted to make sure that those who were in slavery would not lose focus of God because they would get frustrated and would not do the job they were asked to do. If they just said, you know what, I'm listening to this guy, he's over me, doing, telling me what to do, then they would lose focus. But we see this also in today's sense, in our Bahamian culture. Well, that's not in my job description, so I can't do that for you. You know, you've got to ask the person over there, I can't help you with that. You see, too many times we lose focus in our workplaces. We think that some jobs are below us. And we have every excuse. But Paul makes it very clear that you are not working to please your boss on earth. But you're working to please your boss who's in heaven. Who you are working for. We know the saying, when the cat is away, the mouse will play. And we just remember that the boss is never away. Because as a believer, the boss is omnipresent. He's watching us all the time. You see, you may be a person, when you see the boss coming, you act like you're working. Because you, you, you want to, you know, get that promotion. Or you want someone to say, well, you know, so-and-so, he's really, he really working hard. But 10 minutes ago, they, you weren't doing anything. You see, we're not just working for who's present here on this earth. We're working for God. In verse 23, it says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. Some translations say, wholeheartedly unto the Lord. If we get into this, into our minds and our hearts, we would work so much harder. Because we won't have to worry what it is, what is and what not our job. But we would recognize who we are working for, who we are trying to please. And that's God himself. Some people may not like their jobs. But we must be thankful for whatever job we have. And recognize that this is a gift from God. We know there are many people who can't find jobs now. So whatever job you have, you've got to be thankful that God has given you a job. We need to look at our jobs as wherever we are, as a, an assignment from God. God has placed you there for a reason. Whether you like it or not, you are His representation wherever you are. You need to be light and salt on that job, whether you like it or not. You can't be complaining all the time. Man, a boss... Well, you know, he's he tough now. He, you know, I, I don't know how he's working. How, how you been working all these years, man? He just don't listen, and he got me doing these things that I ain't supposed to be doing. He didn't see my resume. My resume told him I do this, this, and this. And I don't do nothing else. No, no. Whatever the boss tells you to do, you got to do. Unless, he, unless you're an electrician, and he tells you to go plug your something into the, the socket, those type of things you don't do, all right? But if you need to clean, if you need to sweep the floors, mop the floors, whatever he tells you to do, things that you're capable of, you do. There's nothing that's below us. Howard Hendricks tells a story. He's a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he said this. He did a lot of traveling and speaking, and American Airlines made him a kind of an inspector, a person who would write critiques about his flights, and he gives reports to the managers. He told a story about one flight where the stewardess did a wonderful job. Crying babies, drunk businessmen, nothing stopped her from smiling and politely serving. At the end of the flight, he stopped to talk to her, to tell her that he was going to give her, he was going to give a good report about her. 
And she replied, well, Mr. Hendricks, I don't work for American Airlines. Seeing him, he looked puzzled, like, what, what do you mean you don't work for American Airlines? And she continued, I work for Jesus Christ. You see, that's who we're working for. That's who we represent. And when we stop looking at our employer and start working for Jesus Christ, I guarantee you that our attitude would change. Instead of looking at things that, that bug you or get on your nerves at work, and look at them as an assignment from Jesus. This would help us out in so many different parts of our society today. So I challenge you as we think about this, work for the real boss. And work will be a lot more enjoyable. Because I could guarantee you, if we look at it as an assignment from Jesus Christ, it would change our attitude and what we do. Because we are a representation of him wherever we go. In verse 24, Paul talks about wages. And I am sure almost every person in this room will probably tell you that I should be getting paid more. But remember that you're not just working for an earthly wage, but you are working for a heavenly reward. This is important to keep in your minds because we have to remember that God is taking the record. He's taking a record of the times that we grumble and complain on the job. He knows. This will change our perspective in, in, in the way that we look at anything we're involved in, whether it be at work, whether it be at home, whether it be at church. If we keep this in our minds that we're not just looking for the earthly reward and we're just thinking about heavenly looking up, this will change our thinking in everything that we do because we want to make Jesus Christ proud as a believer. I would think in this room, every single one of us who say that we are a born-again believer, we want to make Jesus proud. You want to make God proud. And if you don't, then I ask you this morning, do you know Christ as your Savior? Because that's what we should all want to do. Make Him proud. You see, no matter what happens, we have to continue to give 100%. Because we know that our Heavenly Boss is taking the notes. Whether they pick them up on their cameras or whatever else is in your office, are they looking out at you? He knows. And he knows everything about us. He sees our hearts. Again, verse 25 clearly states that we need not to worry about the wages we are given because God will take care of those who unjustly treat their employees wrongly. And this goes especially for the church there as they go under great slavery. You know, we're not facing that type of slavery that they were, they were facing. And some of you probably think that way on your job. You say, well, you don't know. Right? You don't know where I go to work tomorrow. But it's not that type of slavery that they were facing here. But they had people over them all the time, watching them, you know, ready to, to whip them when they didn't work. This was real slavery. We don't face this. But so many times we complain about everything that we do. And lastly, godly living for the, earth, for the earthly boss. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Remember, as a believer, you are called to treat your employees with respect. I think the greatest principle that we could ever look at in Scripture is to look at Jesus Christ himself and see how he treated people. And one thing he always did is, you know what he said? Before one must become a master or leader, he must serve. What a principle to think about. If we see those who, in this room who you may employ people 
if your, if your employees see you serving and seeing you doing the things that normally people would not do, they would wonder, well, something must be wrong with that guy because he's the boss. He's supposed to be telling me what to do. And you know what you could tell him? No, no, I'm a born-again believer. And I don't, I don't think of myself higher than you. I'm willing to do whatever I can because I represent not just this company, but I represent Jesus Christ. And that's who I want to please. That's who I'm trying to be like. So how do we apply this? We apply this this way. When we put God in all walks of life, we will approach life with not just a better attitude, but a godly attitude. An attitude that may be able to change a life, that we are, the change a life that we are around on a daily basis, whether it be our wife, our husband, father, children, employee, and employer. You see, when we get this, these principles into our household, things will change in our household. Because you know what I'm going to tell you why it would change? Because God was in charge of that household. And if God is in charge of our household, we wouldn't have the problems that we have in our country today. But you see, too many times we miss, we miss who we're serving. We miss our assignment from God. And I challenge you this morning as Calvary Bible Church, believers here, that we would be raised up godly families so that we can bring honor and glory to this country, to this island that we are on. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your love. Thank you for all that you've done for us. And I pray that you would help us just to continue to not lose focus of you, recognizing that we represent you in our homes. Wherever we go, we are to be light and salt in this earth. And I pray that you would continue to be honored in all that we do. Just thank you and I praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.